Some New York City trivia for you today, Caitlin. Hmm. I'm intrigued. Bring it on. In the 1970s and 80s, the word pray, as in with your two hands, began mysteriously appearing all over the city on walls, benches, phone booths. Like when you say mysteriously appearing, like appearing out of thin air, or <laughs> what, what does this mystery look like? It was etched onto all of these surfaces, huh. and nobody had any idea who was doing it or why, although a few graffiti artists claimed they saw a vagrant elderly white woman scratching out the words. Her identity, though, was never confirmed. Okay, well... One, this sounds like a Christian's dream to go around New York telling it to pray. And honestly, it sounds a little bit more like urban legend than trivia. Hey, every good city's got to have some urban legends. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women living in New York, trying to chase our dreams without losing our devotion. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. Here on Saved by the City, we are all about heartland Christianity in the heart of Gotham. We're so wholesome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so speaking of urban legends and prayer. Wait, this feels like the setup for a youth group (laughs) sermon. Listen, kids. (laughs) Okay, here's, here's the, it feels like a legend or a myth more than anything to feel like you can pray in a place like New York. It sometimes actually oftentimes feels kind of impossible. Yeah, I I know what you mean. The energy of the city is like the opposite of praying. It's so amped Mm -hmm. up all the time. The frenetic pace, the ambitious energy, the bright, bright lights. Yeah, these are things that I love about New York, but they're not always conducive to being quiet and talking to God, the city is known for like so much noise pollution. And I remember last year and at the time I lived with two roommates and the noise just was like driving me crazy. It was at the beginning of the pandemic. There was no place you could go. You mm-hmm. couldn't like leave the city. And I was like, I'm at my wits end. I'm going to go walk to a park and like find this quiet space in the park to go bird watching. Your prayer language. <laughs> Yeah, a more meditative, centering kind of activity. And within like the first 10 or 15 minutes of getting to Prospect Park, well, one, there were like hundreds of people there, Mm -hmm. dogs all over the place, people who bring boom boxes to natural parks. I don't understand that impulse. I know. And I was so upset. I I felt like a desperate need for quiet so badly that I actually left like with tears in my eyes, like in desperation. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I remember my first year living in New York. I'd never had this happen before. I literally woke up in the middle of the night angry because I was Mm. being woken up by like another garbage truck driving Mm -hmm. outside my window. And I just, I remember sitting up in bed. The first thing I felt was anger and I was just not an angry person. Yeah, it's not necessarily a prayerful place. It's definitely easy to be too distracted for devotion here. Mm, Too distracted for devotion. Good alliteration. Thank you. I do my best. (laughs) Actually, you know what's ironic when Mm. I think about it? What's that? It was actually a meditative prayer retreat at a monastery in Nebraska that really started me seriously thinking about moving to New York. Mm. Yeah, Nebraska is not usually like the first place that I think of when someone's starting their journey to New York. But (laughs) how did that come about? 
Well, I was in the middle of what was really the most painful period of my life, going through this unexpected divorce, and my life was felt like it was falling apart in all kinds of ways. I'd recently turned 30. I'd just quit a job that on the surface looked like my dream job, and I was just freelancing. Hmm. Nothing in my life looked the way I'd imagined it would look at 30. Mm-hmm. I was just having like these daily breakdowns and mm-hmm. feeling like everything I thought was solid had turned to sand. Mm. And in the middle of that, this couple I'd met through work told me they were doing this contemplative prayer retreat in Nebraska at this Jesuit monastery. And I'd read a little about contemplative prayer at the time, but I didn't know much. Mm. Had you been to like a monastery before that kind of contemplative Christian space? No, no. I, I can't remember ever having been. I mean, that was part of what intrigued me. I was like mm-hmm. a monastery out in the middle of a Nebraska. Like it was in the middle of a Nebraska field. Like a pra- it was just in the middle <laughs> of the prairie. Nothing else around it. And I knew I needed something. So I just kind of signed up on a whim. Mm. I was like, sure, I'm going to do this. And like a week later, I was flying to Nebraska and we drove like an hour outside of Omaha. So we're in this prairie that really felt very familiar to me. It felt like home where I grew up. I guess there's probably like a lot of prairie in Nebraska. I think there's, yeah. I mean, I think off the top of my head, it's like 92% prairie in Nebraska. (laughs) Wait, off the top of your head, that's a really specific... (laughs) percentage but like i trust you yeah. you're a journalist that sounds yeah. right to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i grew up in neighboring colorado i'm basically mm-hmm. an expert but it was beautiful i mean i i love the prairie and having grown up in that space like it's just so vast and open on the retreat we're learning these practices these contemplative practices like learning how to kind of quiet our minds to mm-hmm. use a word in our prayer to get us mm-hmm. to kind of a centered place um, mm-hmm. we were doing the examine which is a type of prayer reflection that you kind of walk through each evening before bed we were doing like silent afternoons where you wouldn't couldn't talk to anybody we did some yoga which I'd never I I mean I'd done yoga before but I'd never done it in like a Christian context on that point did you grow up hearing that yoga was like a conduit for shamanism of course yeah for the the devil (laughs) and by shamanism I they I guess the people who were saying this to us meant like spiritual evil or something yes yes yeah yes and 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 to that point that meditation was too that like Mm -hmm. emptying your mind was actually just opening it up to the Mm -hmm. devil so it was was in many ways the opposite of how i'd always learned to pray which was to fill my mind with words talking to god talking to god right and this was very much more about quieting myself and and listening and not even like active listening though like listening for words but just like listening to myself my body the present moment and being open to hearing from god also but Mm. i really loved it and it felt like this new way of being with god that was so freeing because again i'd always been taught prayer was really me talking to god and in that particular time in my life those prayers of talking to god had become this real like spiral of guilt and anxiety and i was trying to wrestle through what felt like this impossible quandary of reconciling me being divorced with my faith Mm. that was something that happened to other people you know not me but at this retreat praying like that i just i felt like i could just be i could be Mm. with god i could be in the present the practices were really helpful for me and after the retreat i 
I ended up staying an extra day in Omaha with the couple. And that night, they told me all these stories of their adventures kind of doing work around the world. And they told me some about their own burnout and how contemplative spirituality had really saved them Hmm. through that. Mm -hmm. And then they asked me what I thought I was going to do next, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people had asked me that during that time period. But I never really I didn't have an answer. I hadn't had an answer for so long. Um, I couldn't get my head out of what was happening right then and what felt like at the time only an end, not a beginning at all. Mm-hmm. But this time I, I I said I knew I needed to leave Orlando. And that was really the, the first time I'd been able to say that, which is where I was living at the time. I remember seeing you there. Yes, you came. A couple visit. different we had times. A very good time, actually. <laughs> so then they asked the follow-up, like, where could you imagine living? Mm. And speaking of you, you and I were in the middle of that at the time of that reporting project that was Mm -hmm. taking us all over the country, staying in hotels together in all these cities, including several trips to New York City, right, where we were kind of becoming familiar with the city for the first time. And and I'd always imagined it's like a fantasy living in New York City, but it had never felt like really an option until that time in Omaha when they asked. And I was like, Mm. wait, I'm having so much fun in New York City. I'm getting to know, like, I could actually go live in this place. And I didn't, like, make a decision mm-hmm. at this retreat, but it was it was the first time I remember thinking, I could actually do this. This could be one of my options. Mm-hmm. Looking back, do you feel like that was God actually speaking to you or impressing something on you at that retreat? I don't know, but it felt like the retreat opened me up. The, the, mm-hmm. the practices that we'd been doing, it felt like it opened up a space in me that had had room for this dreaming and had room to hear from God and not mm-hmm. just like kind of in my prayers, like wallow in, 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 in this place that I felt like I couldn't get out of. Mm-hmm. I felt mm-hmm. open for the first time in a few mm-hmm. years and that I had options and could even be excited and that maybe God had a future for me, even if it looked really different than what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've found a way to pray here? I don't know, man. Those prayers and tips that I I learned, tips feels like such a shallow word for what they were, (laughs) um, at that Nebraska retreat stayed with me for a long time. Mm. And they did really help me. Like I I remember in my first apartment in East Village, which was so loud. The sight of the garbage trucks waking you up at night. And just it's East Village. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. awake all the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, sitting in my chair with my feet on the floor and like saying my word to to get into that space and like really trying to use those practices. And they did really help. But I don't know that I'd say that like I'm still there all these many years later. Like I feel like the city has worn on me and worn on my ability to find that kind of meditative place, um, Mm. prayerful place Mm -hmm. here. What about you? Well, if I'm honest with all of our listeners, including my parents and probably my (laughs) priest or something, or my former youth pastor, hi, Kathy, I'm not good at prayer. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I so envy, actually, speaking of my parents, they both get up early every morning and have their quiet time and... It's as the much early as- part that's so hard. <laughs> In addition to the prayer part, the early part. <laughs> yes. And yeah, I, I mean, there's no future in which I'm getting up at six in the morning to pray on a regular basis. But 
you know, as much as we could say about like quiet times and Mm -hmm. that routine, I do really long for that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there are so many distractions in the city. Distractions, not just in terms of noise, but like so many things to do. It's such a place of activity and busyness and rushing off to the next thing. But at the end of the day, I think it's really a me problem. I don't think Mm -hmm. I can blame it on the city. I just think I need to exercise my prayer muscle more, you know, because when I lived in more of a suburban setting, I wasn't necessarily praying right. anymore. Right. I mean, like I, I can't, it's... I can't blame the city exactly. for my lack of prayer completely. I find it hard to cultivate an interior spirituality here or anything interior here. It's just such a very external loud city. Mm-hmm. So have there been any, contemplative practices that you learned at the retreat that you can that you still actually it's funny that you mentioned that because later on in the show i'm going to be talking to someone who actually gets into one of the more interesting ways unexpected ways that you can silence your mind which is actually to play noises (laughs) okay so you silence your mind by creating sound. Exactly. But the sound has magical powers that get you to be quiet in your brain. Yeah, that's basically it. I want to hear this right away. <laughs> I will pay you're, for this. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you and I are clearly still figuring out how to do the whole prayer thing in this crazy city or anywhere. <laughs> Yes, not just in this noisy city. We've established that I am not good at prayer anywhere, (laughs) which is part of why we wanted to talk to our next guest, because he's something of an expert on prayer. And keeping on trend, a Jesuit priest. Ah, the Jesuits. They just, they know what's up. So Father James Martin is a fellow New York City resident, as well as an editor-at-large for America Magazine and the author of the new book, Learning to Pray, A Guide for Everyone. And don't forget the chaplain of the now defunct Colbert Report. <laughs> I was going to say mass at St. Ignatius up on Park Avenue. And this guy sat down next to me. I'm in my collar, of course. And the guy sat down next to me and said, will you hear my confession? And I said, sure. Well, the whole bus got silent. <gasps> <laughs> because they wanted to hear the oh, confession. Gosh. It was so funny. You could tell people were listening. He just got quieter and quieter. Our conversation with Father Martin is coming up right after we tell you about the greatness that is Religion News Service. RNS is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. I am Senior Awesome Editorial Officer at RNS. <laughs> Not really. That is not my title. But I do speak with authority. They are super great. There are tons of newsletters, including one for this very podcast, as well as opinion pieces from all different perspectives and belief systems. From Kiati Joshi's Living Religion to Charles Camosi's Purple Catholicism. From Tara Isabella Burton's Religion Remixed to Signs of the Times by Thomas Reese, there's something for everyone. For the best in global religion reporting, visit religionnews.com. And while you're in front of your computer, contact us. We want to hear from you. Tweet to hashtag Saved by the City, and you can send us an email to sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. That's sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Today, we're super pleased to have the chance to speak with the charming, gracious, and eminently wise Father James. Commonly known as Jim. Yes, Father Jim Martin, SJ. Welcome to the show, Father Jim. 
All right. Well, we're here today with Father James Martin. So thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Good to be with you. I think to start, do you have a favorite place to pray in New York City? Well, you're going to laugh. I mean, it's my room, basically, because <laughs> <laughs> I find, sure. um, I, yeah, I mean, I know I'm not trying to be silly. You know, I, I know a lot of people like to pray outside and pray in nature, pray in Central Park. A lot of people tell me, truly, they like to pray in the subway, right, mm. because it, it, it's sort of meditation mm. on all the different people. I, you know, I think uh, I can do that at times. I just find it easier to pray in my room, mm-hmm. in the quiet of my room, or in church. I go to Church of St. Paul the Apostle, which is literally next door to my house. I mean, actually physically connected to the church. But yeah, I I tend to like to pray in my room. It's just easier. And New York, I find that you need a lot of, you know, physical silence, and that can be hard to come by in New York. But Mm -hmm. it's not, for some people, it's not. Some people love to pray outside and pray on the subway. Do you ever get, I don't know how often you walk around New York in your collar, but do you ever get people stopping you and asking you to pray for them? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I walk around my collar a lot, especially if I'm doing, you know, so-called official business, uh, if I'm going to mass or, you know, I'm doing something. You hear confessions a lot. I heard a confession once on a bus. Mm. Oh, wow. And I'll tell you a funny story if you don't mind. Yeah, it, was, it was an uptown bus. I was going to say mass at St. Ignatius up on Park Avenue. And this guy sat down next to me. I'm in my collar, of course. And the guy sat down next to me and said, will you hear my confession? And I said, sure. Well, the whole bus got silent. <gasps> <laughs> because they wanted to hear the oh, confession. Gosh. It was so funny. You could tell people were listening. He just got quieter and quieter <sighs> because he said the, the question pretty loudly. So everybody everybody was curious. <laughs> did he go ahead and confess? Oh, he did. No, absolutely. Oh, he, he did a regular confession. <laughs> and, you know, he was whispering by the end yeah. because everybody was so quiet. <laughs> wow. It was pretty funny. That is a very particular New York story. Now, what about you guys? Where do where do you like to pray in New York? <laughs> well, we brought you on here to get advice about how to pray better. Now we get advice. <laughs> yeah, it's it. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, I think both Roxy and I have reflected on the fact that we heard before coming here. You know, you have to be careful about living in New York because it's secular or it's godless or you're going to lose your faith. So hedonistic. Hedonistic, yeah. That hasn't been our experience. I think the Mm -hmm. greater daily challenge is just the pace and noise of the city. It's not so much that Mm. people are telling us that we shouldn't believe in God. It's more like there are just so many more exciting things to do. And it can be really hard Mm. to sink into the quiet that's necessary to connect with God. And so do you have advice or recommendations for how to tap into that silence that we sure. need? Those are great questions. I mean, I think the first thing is to say, and I'm, I'm sure you know this, that, you know, to be able to find God uh, in all things, as we Jesuits like to say. And so one of the prayers I do, the examination of conscience, which I talk about in the book, is basically a review of the day, mm-hmm. right? So to be able to look back over the day and say, even in the midst of this noise and craziness and busyness, where did I encounter God? It's literally a review of the day. You just go through your relationships and things you've seen and people you've talked to and things you've done and, you know, even something you saw in Central Park or on, you know, mm-hmm. Sixth Avenue or somewhere. And this relates to obviously any city or any person's life. And just to look back and be grateful for it, mm. to savor those things. And that mm-hmm. can give you a sense more of where God is in the day. Mm-hmm. But in terms of your prayer, I think one of the most helpful things for someone who lives in the city or has a busy life is how to deal with distractions. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that in the book. And basically, look, 
there are two kinds of distractions. One is an unimportant distraction. And that's like, you know, a car, you know, beeping or the, those, those darn trucks backing up, you know, with the beep, <laughs> yes. beep, beep. And that you can try to let go of. But then there are important distractions. God might be raising something up for you to look mm. at, right? Like if someone's always coming to mind in prayer mm. to look at. But to get to the heart of the matter, a lot of times we can't let go of the distractions, okay? So if you're in physical pain, or look, if you're living in an apartment or, you know, and there's someone banging upstairs, right? What we do to ourselves is we really do a number on ourselves, and we we start to feel guilty almost, like, oh, I should be able to be totally mm-hmm. centered, and I shouldn't be distracted. Well, you know, sometimes you just can't do that. And so one of my favorite prayers is this, which I'm happy to, you know, tell everybody, God, I am distracted, and I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look, if the two of you went out to supper one night and one of you said, you know, I'm super distracted because I have this big project going on or something happened in my life, the other person would say, that's okay. I'm just glad you're here. You know, it's okay. Yeah. You're distracted. I understand. Now, look, if you can do that, how much more can God do that with us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For both of us growing up evangelical, mm-hmm. there's a, an approach to prayer as evangelicals that we're sort mm-hmm. of taught as that it's supposed to be very spontaneous, very mm-hmm. personal. You know, mm-hmm. you might have a time every day that you pray, or you might have sort of an outline that you pray like mm-hmm. acts, A-C-T-S, sure. <laughs> which a lot of our yeah. listeners will remember. Mm-hmm. But the words, you know, are your own. And yeah. there's, you know, kind of a, a suspicion cultivated in evangelicalism yes. of anything that's like rote, of anything that was mm-hmm. pre-written or, you know, even like historical prayers, like from the Book of Common Prayer or the Hail Mary. So as a Catholic, tell us about, you know, some of your favorite more Catholic prayer practices and how they've sort of enriched your spiritual life. Yeah, well, funny enough, I would say that one of my favorite Catholic prayer practices is just that, which is praying in your own language Mm -hmm. and just being honest with God. I I think one of the points of my book is that there's no right or wrong way to pray. Mm -hmm. So the kinds of prayer you're talking about, you know, sort of spontaneous, personal, is fantastic. You know, and a lot of Catholics have struggled with that because they're not used to it imaginative prayer where you imagine yourself in a scripture scene, the examination of conscience, Lexio Divina. Mm -hmm. And also I talk about road prayers, you know, the kinds you're talking about. You know, a lot of people use them, uh, particularly when they find it hard to come up with their own words, right? And Mm -hmm. so sometimes if you're really struggling, right? I mean, and uh, the Our Father is a great go-to prayer, right? Or the Lord is my shepherd or the Hail Mary Mm -hmm. or lots and lots of prayers that are pre-written. So I guess the thing is, whatever helps you feel close to God, right? So I would never say to someone, oh, you're only doing rote prayer, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's not good enough, right? Because look, if that's that's what helps, that's what helps. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine told me a story about his mother. I love this story. And she was doing the rosary. And uh, he said to her, you know, kind of a little pompously, well, let me teach you how to do another kind of prayer that's more honest. And he said, well, by the way, what happens when you do the rosary? And she said, well, God looks at me and I look at God. And he realized, mm. you know, her prayer life was a lot deeper than he had thought. Yeah. So really for me, it's it's whatever you like, whatever way you find helps you encounter God. Mm. Yeah. I mean, for as much as my evangelical upbringing emphasized kind of a spontaneous free type of prayer, I find that... Mm-hmm. When I try to find the words to say to God, I get stuck in my own thoughts or I wonder if I'm doing it right, so to speak. I've heard you say, you know, whatever makes you feel closer to God and connected to God, Mm -hmm. how do we get past some of the, oh, I'm stuck in my head or am I doing it right or... 
if I don't do it right, then I'm not going to do it. <laughs> just, yeah. Right. Or is God judging well, what I'm saying? Well, no, that's great. And you know, it's funny. I have a friend, uh, one of my spiritual directees, people who come to me for spiritual direction is a uh, Pentecostal, right? That's his tradition. Mm-hmm. And one of his struggles, it sounds similar to what you're talking about, is actually not trusting his own prayer, right? Yeah. That the idea mm-hmm. is yeah. like, you can't trust because you're sinful. And part of that is getting at your image of God, right? So who is God for you? If God is for you, this judge or mm. this taskmaster, or as one of my friends said, memorably, a parole officer, which I love because you've already done something bad, right? And you're kind of mm-hmm. out on parole. If that's your image, then it's going to be hard for you to be honest and be open in prayer because you're going to feel like God is, as you know, as you were saying, judging you. Mm-hmm. So part of that is saying, okay, what's my image of God and can I have a new image of God? For example, for the Christian to think of Jesus, you know, and to be with Jesus, you know, who for a lot of people is easier to pray with or pray to, right? Because mm-hmm. he seems less judging than, you know, God the Father. And I would say to trust that God knows and loves you, even in your sinfulness and your imperfections. Mm -hmm. And that if it's a halting prayer and it's not coming out right, that that's okay. God's mercy and God's love is so much bigger than we can imagine that Mm -hmm. it's it's okay to to pray in whatever way that you want. Again, use the friendship analogy. Mm -hmm. Like if you guys went out together for dinner and one of you said, I'm really in a difficult place and this may not even come out articulately. You know, you've, I'm very upset. You know, the other one would say, that's fine. Just just, just be honest with me. Just open up. And again, this is a phrase from St. Ignatius. If mm-hmm. if your friend can do this, how much more, mm-hmm. right? right? You have to give God some credit. You know, that God, if, if your friend is compassionate with you, mm-hmm. then how much more can God be compassionate with you? So part of it's trusting, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, in the friendship analogy, like if Roxy and I are going out for dinner at Joe's Shanghai, mm-hmm. so to speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, we're both kind of stressed and distracted, but yeah. I'm waiting there and she gets there. The most important yeah. thing is that she's there and we're there together. That's exactly. It's not, well, what is she going to say next? And is she totally right. zeroed in on our conversation? Right. Right. And is she in the totally perfect mental space? Right. That's so secondary to just being together. That is exactly right. And again, if you, with all of your, you know, failings and sins, you know, just like me, can be that way for Roxy, Mm -hmm. how much more can God be that way for you? That's a great image. It is just about being there. And I think, you know, this is what God wants. He wants our company. And I think sometimes the desire to sort of be perfect in prayer, you know, as they say, the perfect is the enemy of the good, makes some people pray not at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's not coming from God that's coming from us. And it's really, it gets in the way of our relationship. So absolutely. That's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. And I think the image of God sort of giving us soup dumplings would be very nice. <laughs> Especially in a cold winter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what do you do when you pray and you don't really feel God's presence or maybe that never happens to you as a one of the things I, I say in the book is that one thing that keeps people from prayer and praying is they think everybody else is able to have that, you right. know, like all you do is have to close your eyes and you're instantly in God's presence and blah, 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 which is not true for anyone, right? I mean, everyone has periods of prayer where they're dry or where they don't feel God's presence. You, you could go as far as to say most times people pray they're not feeling that. There's not a kind of emotional feeling of God's presence. And one of the things I do is just trust that God is with me. 
and the trust that something is happening deep within me, even though I may not feel it, right? Mm -hmm. St. Teresa of Avila said, which I love, we should be faithful to prayer and not in a sense, this is a paraphrase, not in a sense um, addicted to the fruits of the prayer, Mm -hmm. Mm. you know, because it's like, if I don't get something from it, then I'm going to stop praying. Mm -hmm. So I think to just trust and push on, right? And know that the prayer is going to get rich at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you ever hear from God in prayer? Yeah. You mean like clearly and directly? Yeah. Yeah. I I guess I don't don't mean audibly per se. Oh, sure. No, one doesn't. I mean... Do you do you hear back from God? Yeah, I think that's one of the most important questions in prayer because people sit down and they wonder, no, what's supposed to happen? Mm-hmm. So I think the most common ways that God speaks to us in prayer are the following: our emotions that come up, you know, a sense of joy or even sadness, or you know, the sense of sort of peace or hope, right? That comes at say we read a scripture passage. You know, I th- those things are coming from God. Insights, I think, are very important. People tend to privilege the emotional responses, but insight, something just clicks, Mm. right? And you have a sense of something. Mm -hmm. Memories come up, very important. You know, you're struggling in a difficult time and suddenly you have this memory of, you know, of like a time when God helped you. Uh, Feelings, just peace, right? If you're stressful Mm. and you ask God for help and you feel peace, you say, okay. Uh, Words and phrases sometimes come up, you know, they have to be discerned, but sometimes they come into your head. Mystical experiences, sometimes desires, right? You're praying about... Jesus and the Gospels, and you have a desire to be a, a better Christian, or wow, I really want to learn more about the Christian way. And so those are the most common, I would say, fruits of prayer. Mm-hmm. And once people have that sense of like, okay, that makes sense because I've experienced that, they say, oh, okay, I guess I'm, I'm praying you know, better than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about it so far, and as a lot of people, I think, think about prayer, they think about the individual activity, something between mm-hmm. you and God. But mm-hmm. As a Jesuit, you live in intentional community, and you've mentioned already kind of what some of your communal prayer life looks like. But what is that? Like, why is that part important for your prayer life? And also for those of us like Caitlin and I who don't have that kind of community, yeah. what are some ways that you would advise like finding that kind of faithful community in New York where that can be really hard to find and build? We are social animals, right? Social beings. And it might sound funny, but Jesus could have just called one person. He could have just called Peter Mm -hmm. or Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. So like, you follow me. He doesn't. He calls a group, right? He calls the 12 and he calls women. And it's, you know, they're they're the disciples. And it's one of the reasons is he recognizes that people need one another. I mean, he needs them too. Mm -hmm. You know, he needs, he's a human being and fully human, fully divine, but he needs friends and support. And we need one another. So I think it's essential for us to have that dimension in our lives. Also, one of the lines I like is the church helps to correct and connect. If it's Mm -hmm. just you and God, then sometimes by definition, like anything you decide is, oh, God's told me to do this. Right. And you need something to kind of bump up against. Mm -hmm. And how do you pray together? What is that? Yeah, you know, that's a great, what a great question. People sometimes feel self-conscious praying together Mm -hmm. because of what Caitlin was saying before, like my prayer is no good. And so if I pray, I mean, you guys know each other, but if I pray in front of so-and-so, they're going to think, oh, this is that she sounds stupid, Uh, which by the way, is usually a wrong assumption because most people, again, are usually thinking the other person's praying better. I find something called faith sharing is really helpful, which is where you share your experiences in, in finding God in your daily life and in your prayer. That can really be a wonderful tool to bring mm. people together. 
And as a little tip, I find if you have a group of people, um, let's say you meet monthly and you say, just talk about something that's been interesting, significant, or meaningful Mm -hmm. in the last month. And then usually that leads into a discussion about God. Mm -hmm. Because if you say, I found this with people, if you say, talk to me about your experiences of God, people clam up. Mm. Right. Because they're, they're embarrassed. If you say, share something meaningful, significant, or interesting, they will start and then they will lead into, you know, where they found God. That's a little Mm -hmm. sneaky way of doing it, but it helps to put people at their ease. You know, as a priest in New York City, when you sort of think about the city or even the people that you're just interacting with regularly and hearing from regularly, what do you think are some of the biggest like prayer requests? I kind of mean that, but like longings or, or pain that you sort of witness in New York City that people are wanting to bring to God? I think certainly in New York, loneliness yeah. is a huge thing, mm-hmm. right? So you have a lot of people who come here from all over the place who often live by themselves, or even if they're with roommates, they feel lonely, they're cut off from their families, they're looking mm-hmm. for a spouse, for example, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or someone. You know, yeah. um, They have a hard time connecting with people. That's very difficult for people. Uh, that's one great desire and longing. I think also just financial problems, right? It's a very expensive place to live and people feel frightened. Mm -hmm. And I also think a third thing would be dealing with the great number of poor people that are here and what's my response, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, when I was walking to work, you know, we used to go into the office last year, I would pass uh, many homeless people, many And it's shocking. There was one guy who lived out in front of our office building that I struck up a friendship with. But a lot of people really, uh, you know, as as good Christians, and they should, you know, feel compassionate towards these people and want to know how to help. And then they feel the main question is, am I doing enough? Mm -hmm. And I would say those three things. First, loneliness. Second, financial burdens. And then third, poverty and how to deal with poverty. So Mm -hmm. these are all, these are really tough questions for people in in any city, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those resonate mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. I think just to to kind of wrap, I'm wondering if I don't know if you if you want to actually literally pray this or just tell us what you would pray. But what would you pray for New York City right now? What would it be a prayer you would offer? Oh boy. Um, well, you know what? I tell you what. Why don't we each pray a, a separate prayer? How's that sound? Okay. Are you willing to do that? Speaking sure. of like being so, I'll just so I would just ask God to bless. New York, especially in this time of COVID, um, this time of great isolation, that um, our hearts might be open to one another, that we might uh, also feel a sense of God's presence in our lives, um, and that we might trust that God has good things in store for us. Mm -hmm. Amen. So go ahead. Yeah. Loving God, I I pray to you just for um, so many lonely and isolated and afraid Um, and I also pray for, uh, um, a sense of clarity of, um, you know, so much has happened in the last year and so many divisions have been identified and, um, some of the inequalities that maybe felt hidden are in plain sight. And so I just pray that this time is actually a catalyst for change, um, and for addressing some of these deep issues in our city. Lord, I, I thank you for the 
ways that all of us have still been able to connect with others, even though we can't see each other and be with each other physically in the ways that we want. Um, thank you for the friendships and colleagues and um, family relationships that have s- sustained all of us in a time that feels very isolating and lonely. And we continue to pray for the health and flourishing of New York. Um, thank you for all the essential workers and healthcare workers who um, who are showing up daily and keep the city running. Um, we pray for their protection. And we also just pray that the vaccine rollout would go smoothly, that people who need it the most would get it, and that you would give wisdom to our city's leaders, um, that they would um, have the most vulnerable people in mind as they plan for the future. Um, We just pray that you would sustain a sense of hope for all of us here. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. It's great. What a great conversation. Thanks. Oh, for, this is really <laughs> fantastic. I mean, I we really, I rarely have deep conversations like this. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thanks for all your good work. Too. Thank you so much. Thank for, you for being yeah. with us and for prompting us to pray today. <laughs> yes. uh, my pleasure. Indeed. Well, that's the point of the book. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thanks so much. was so great. Well, that was like your 10th prayer today, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm in a constant state of prayer, so I can't really even keep track. Yeah. But I do want Father Martin to be my spiritual director. (laughs) We've been talking about how prayer and New York City and just the busyness and the bustle and the noise of the city, they don't really get along. But I ran across someone recently, actually not long after we talked to Father Martin, who, who uses noise as a conduit into that stillness or that prayerful state. So does this person live in New York? And if so, (laughs) does she have like a soundproof room or something? (laughs) (laughs) She just uses those garbage trucks to to meditate. That's get her closer to God. Spiritual of her. (laughs) Well, she does live in New York and her name is Liz Konecki and she's an award-winning religion journalist in New York city. And she recently wrote this article for RNS about a practice that's come to mean a lot to her. And it's actually a sound meditation practice. She goes to meditation rooms all over New York city to do this. She does it in Washington square park sometimes meets up with people and has this sort of sound meditation circle. And I thought, wow, this is really like in line with what we were talking about and the difficulty of sort of entering into that prayerful state in New York. So I got her on the phone and I asked her how sound helps her quiet her mind. So the thing about sound that I find so compelling, and I'm a longtime meditator, and I found that even in my silent meditation, I was plateauing or I wasn't able to get past 15 minutes, let's say. And when I discovered sound meditation, and it was through a gong, a gong meditation, um, Mm. I found that by focusing on the sound itself while I was there in this hour long experience, it it actually, I was so overwhelmed by the sound that I, it, it made it hard for me to think. So I literally don't know how to respond to that only because 
it's so beyond my experience. I've never thought about using yeah. sound to become more meditative. I know, right? I mean, my mind is already very loud mm-hmm. and noisy with the chatter of the day. And it's just strange to think, let's introduce more sound to it. But I talked to her about that. And here's what she said. Yeah, I love this quote in the piece that you wrote. The gong will take you past your mind. You don't even know you're not thinking anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And that is that is something that you'll hear from you know, first timers to long timers to sound meditation practice. It really has this way of transforming you and transforming a practice that is actually, it's very difficult to meditate. The mind is a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. We're already overburdened with so many things and we're constantly being thrown stuff that is stress-inducing, trauma-inducing. So how does it work exactly that noise, especially noise from a gong, helps to ease the burden in our minds? I mean, what is the thing about a gong that makes it different from the sound of a flute or a friend on the phone or bird song or anything like that? Well, I am glad you asked. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk to this guy doing research on this, Alexander Tanus, who's a composer, educator, and ethnomusicologist. Mm. He is specifically looking at what happens to our brains when we encounter different kinds of sound. Here's Liz. It seems to be the overtone emitting instruments have a profound effect on the brain. He's even looked at it uh, using the device that, that measures the brain waves, the EEG machines. Mm -hmm. And when he hooks somebody up to those machines and they play a very large gong, the the electrical activity in the brain um, flattens and it Mm. looks like you're asleep. I like talking about brains. Brains are cool and science (laughs) is cool too, even though I don't understand it. So (laughs) pro-science. It's like cool that we see something happening on these EEG machines, but how does noise actually become part of a spiritual practice. Did Liz talk about that? Yeah. So they call this kind of meditation sound bathing or a sound bath. And it's a communal experience. And so I asked her, what is it like when you go take a sound bath? Sure. So um, you usually you in, you walk into the space and you lay down in, in corpse pose. And there's usually a facilitator who's um, playing a gong and Himalayan singing bowls and you're laying prostrate and there you are for an hour. Yeah. And so they'll introduce a few things to sort of get you off the street and into the room and then they'll play. And it's a mixture of gong and what they call koshi chimes sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a shruti box. And then they'll bring you out of it. Some people fall asleep um, (laughs) and some people are awake, but um, it's usually with your eyes closed. And some Mm -hmm. people want to sit in meditation as opposed to laying down. So it's really up to the participant. You're just bathed in sound. You're in a cocoon of sound. It's like your whole body is an ear. That that is a striking visual. I mean, those AirPods are going to be huge. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but it's not just the auditory experience. There's a physiological experience happening as well. And the other element that we probably don't talk enough about is the actual vibrations that are coming mm-hmm. from the gong. 
I mean, if you were to stand up close to a gong and you don't realize just how much vibration is coming out of them, you certainly feel it when you're laying there. But when you get up really close to one and you start playing it, you can see it move and um, it's actually quite intense. The energy is quite intense that comes off of a gong. This has been such a transformative practice for Liz that she actually decided to buy her own 36-inch gong for her apartment. Now, either Liz lives in a really big apartment or she just really loves the gong because... Yes, (laughs) you know you really love something when as a New Yorker, you give up three feet of your apartment to it. Mm -hmm. But I asked her if she wouldn't mind playing it for us. Let's listen. So, you know, what I find is, is I'll go to the gong for even five minutes if I'm especially wound up about something and just sort of gently play for a few minutes. And it helps, right? Yeah. It's not like, you know, I'm not going to have to not pay my rent. Or I'm <laughs> going to have a fight with my best friend or, you know, it's not that problems aren't going to happen. But there's a, I'm not as reactive. Mm-hmm. I'm not as like quick to anger on something. It's just like taking a breath, a deep, deep breath, but even more profound than yeah. that. So I have to say, and maybe you picked up on this, I've been just a little skeptical about this noise bathing practice, but a little bit. <laughs> actually hearing the noise of the gong, I, I think I get why it's so powerful mm. and why Liz and others are really drawn to it. I know, right? I was really moved listening to it, even just through a phone. And I could feel that sense of reverence as we listened But I think there's something about the Christian tradition that can often be skeptical of elements from other faiths or other cultures being brought in. I remember as a kid being told that, you know, by missionaries that like elements (laughs) of other cultures could have like demons playing around inside Mm -hmm. them and could be released if you brought them home. (laughs) But Liz and I talked about how this is really more of a tool, a conduit to prayer and can be used no matter your religious background. You know, you can you can be of any religious tradition to use a gong or to, you know, partake in any kind of sound meditation. It, it's just another way, you know, to tap in because we're, we're really tapped out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, we need tools. We need bigger and louder tools to help us ground ourselves. So I don't know about you, Roxy, but I kind of want to try this out. Yeah, let's do it. Let's meet up with Liz in the park take a sound bath together, and then go get brunch. What a New York Saturday. (laughs) Oh my gosh, such a lovely show. Mm -hmm. Am I actually allowed to say that? I think you are. I'm glad when you like our episodes. And it's also fun when other people say that they love our episodes. So if any of you listeners enjoyed yourself in this particular episode, you should definitely let us know. Give us a shout out. Tweet to the hashtag saved by the city. We'll get it and reply. We want to hear from you. Who should we talk to and what should we talk about? Or you can email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Saved by the City is a Religion News Service production. The executive producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. And we have production assistance from Elizabeth Wyndham. Chaz Russo put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Caitlin Beatty and Roxy Stone. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.